0: Good Good to see you. Uh, My name is Derek. I'm the pastor here, so if you're new with us, welcome. And uh, welcome to the Advent season. If you're not familiar with what that is, it's just this kind of church thing uh, where we mark the weeks that lead us to the Christmas event, the birth of Jesus, that whole story. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, Um, but it's kind of what we're doing this time of year. Um, And so that's welcome to that season. We're in a series of teachings called The Voice of Advent, and we're calling it that because it's based on this announcement that the shepherds uh, heard from this angel. See, the shepherds are working out in the fields at night, the night that Jesus was born, just outside of Bethlehem, working the night shift. And the angel of the Lord shows up while they're working and, uh, and tells them that, that Jesus has been born. And these were the first people to hear the news other than of course mary and joseph i mean something's happening in your body you kind of have an idea what's going on but they were the first people to hear the news that jesus had been born and therefore the first people to be the carriers of that news um to everyone around and so what's interesting about it is that they were shepherds and shepherds as we've said before like in that particular day and time a palestinian middle eastern first century shepherd is uh, was not someone that was seen as uh, as anything good. They were some of the lowest people on the economic ladder, the social ladder, the religious ladder, the moral ladder. I mean, this is just who these people were. So you can just imagine what they must have thought when they're just out doing their gig, right? They're just watching sheep, drinking beers, having cigarettes, you know, all that sort of stuff, doing what shepherds do. Um, and you think I kid, you should go over there these days and see what they're doing. But this is what they're doing and then God breaks into their night and gives them this announcement now verse nine, which is before uh, our our passage, verse nine says that they were filled with fear, um, which seems natural they're just afraid because something crazy is going on and then the the announcement comes to them from uh, the angel, and I have my Bible uh, because our two of our three screens went down, so Merry Christmas everybody uh, and so But here's the announcement. It's on the screen for you to my left, to your right. Uh, This is what the angel said to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's just say this together. Again, it's over here if you're looking up here. But let's just say this together as one. Here we go. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so what we've been doing over the last several weeks is taking this one announcement and looking deep within it, because there are four smaller announcements that are made within this larger announcement. And so week by week, we're just exploring each of those, just breaking it up into four pieces and saying, okay, what does this mean? And what does this mean? And what does this mean? And why did the angels say this? And why are the shepherds hearing it this way? And we started the series off uh, with this right here that you can see on the screen as well. The first message within the larger message is there is nothing to what? There is nothing to fear. Again, you have to side with the shepherds. Um, They're afraid because something supernatural is happening. So there's just sort of, you know, I would be worried if someone wasn't afraid. But there's also this thing going on that all of us carry around, this theology that all of us carry around. And that's that, gosh, if God shows up in my life, he must be mad. He must be upset. He must be here to say something uh, to me about something that's going on in my life, right? If God shows up, if He breaks into my world, if He breaks into my life, there must be something wrong with me. Now again, it's not that we, like we believe that and we don't believe that all at the same time. Like we, we hope and believe that God is merciful, that He loves us, that He loves the world, that He would do anything for us, that He wants the best for us. But in the back of our minds, there's also this thought that, man, if He, if he showed up today, that I must be in big trouble. And so, in, in, in addition to, wow, something, something crazy is happening out here, there's this fear of, oh my gosh, God's presence in my life is not always something that we anticipate. Or we're not really re- I mean, we want it, but we're not always ready for it. And so what we did in week one was just simply say, there's nothing to fear. I mean, this is what the angel said to the shepherds, like, fear not. And it bears repeating in here because it is the most repeated command in all of the scriptures, and that is do not be afraid, fear not, do not fear. I mean, God knows that we kind of carry that fear around, and so all throughout the Bible, we see this thing repeated over and over and over again, don't be afraid. And Kyle led the series off, and he had this great statement saying that we're not supposed to live our lives afraid of what God will do to us, but we live our lives as a response to what God has already done for us. Those are two different ways of living. One is out of fear, and one is out of just this knowing that God loves us and cares for us and is merciful and gracious over us. The second thing on the screen that you can see is we talked about this last week, that what you are hearing, the angel is saying, what you are hearing is good news. It's good news, and he qualifies it saying, of great joy. It's good news of great joy, right? Oftentimes the church is seen as the bearer of bad news, that God is angry with you and that you need to clean your life up and you're you're not going to be in good standing with him unless you do so. And yet, the angel of the Lord says to the shepherds who had every right to think, yeah, we're busted. I mean, we're shepherds, you know? Uh, There's no way we can, there's no way, there's no way we can, like, make this right in this moment, okay? Because God has just shown up unannounced, and hello, uh, we're shepherds. You don't get this, but that's fine. Um, Just go back 24 hours, and God shows up in your life, okay? All right. I'm not saying anything. I wasn't there. I'm just saying, just think back to the last time you didn't expect God to show up, and there he is. And so the angel says, no, 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 it's all good news, and it's filled with joy. It's of great, it's of great, great joy. We talked about that. And today, what I want to talk about is this next part. I want us to explore this, that this good news of great joy will be for all the people. Say that with me, for all the people, right? This is so key. If you want to remember it this way, uh, we'll, we're just going to say it this way quite a bit today, that God is for you. And I put in parentheses there, just so you're not mistaking, and everyone for that matter. Right? For you, yes, but for me, yes, for everyone for that matter. God is for you. He's for us. He's for me. Again, He's for you. He's for everyone. He's not against us. He's not watching and hoping that we fail. Maybe you think that about God. He has no desire for us to feel guilty or exposed or embarrassed by our lives. He is not holding our pasts above our heads as a reminder that we have no right to move on, that we have no right to move forward. He's not at night laying out these moral tripwires for us to get entangled in and caught up in and injured by our failures. He's not doing that. God has no hopes for us uh, falling apart morally, relationally, spiritually, or otherwise. No hopes of that. You're not going to find that in Scripture. He's not against us. Let me make this personal. He is not against you. And He is not against me. He is for us. He is for us the world. I mean, it's his. Hopefully he's for the world. He's for you. He is for me. This is at the very center of the heart of the revolutionary message and life of Jesus. This is it. Like, okay, what is Jesus? Jesus is the embodiment of the truth that God is for you. If you look at Jesus, the first thing you should see and feel and recognize is that God is not against you, but he is for you. Are you with me on that? But this isn't always the case for us. You know, take a microphone and a recorder and hit the street today or just ask your waiter, what do you think about when you think of the word Christian? When you hear the word Christian, what do you think about what comes to your mind, right? It may, the the sad thing is very few of the people you ask are going to go straight to the center of the heart of the message of Jesus, which is that God is for you. That's going to be very few people. And those who answer it that way, well, they just came from church, okay? Okay. Hopefully. Hopefully that's where they heard that from. Uh, At least you're going to hear that today over and over and over again. But again, very few people will go to that. They'll say something else. They'll say different things. Uh, About five years ago, a book came out uh, entitled "UnChristian," written by Dan Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons, and it's essentially, the book is essentially the result of years and years and years of research and surveys, and the book is based on these conversations with thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are outside of the Christian faith. And and it's very simple. They just wanted to know what they thought um, when they heard the word Christian. Um, So on this screen, this is a piece of the introduction of the book. I've got to come out here and do the bouncing ball because I don't have a thing on the back. All right. This This is the first sentence in the introduction of the book, okay, which, again, is the result of research. Christianity has an image problem. Okay, we can all hit check on that one. If you've lived in America very long, I doubt this surprises you, but it brings up important questions, just what exactly do people think about Christians, and why do these perceptions exist? This drives the book, it drives the research. And so what they did, again, is they just, they asked all these people outside of the Christian faith, when you hear the word Christian, what do you think about? And after all the results came in, they just dwindled it down to the six most repeated things that they heard from outsiders about us, right? And it, and it formulated six of the nine or so chapters in the book. And here they are in order. Hypocritical, get saved, anti-homosexual, sheltered, too political, judgmental. Now we'll just leave this up here for a minute. And I want you to look at the list. Now one, again, if you ask your waiter today, or waitress, and you say, what do you think about when you hear the word Christian. He or she is probably going to say one of these things. Maybe you can really test them and go, give me six. And see if they hit them all. It's okay. You can take a phone picture of it just for the quiz today. That's fine. Uh, A guy stopped me between services and said, we asked our friend this very same question because this guy read the book when it came out. He said, we asked our friend or neighbor, I can't remember. We asked our friend, what are the things that you think about when you hear the word Christian? He said, she nailed all six of them. She doesn't read the book, but it's just a reality of what people think about when they hear the word Christian. The other thing I want you to notice about this list, that there's nothing in that list that's hopeful. There's this not a good marketing strategy. You know, we got the meeting, they come in, they go, here's the plan. Let's be these things. <laughs> and man, we just want to be able to stop it. Right? It's just not very hopeful. And there's nothing in that list that says God is for you. Nothing. And so, back to our verse, the angel says to the shepherds that this is good news of great joy for all the people. But God is not against, but he is for. And this great joy is for Everyone. So, what I want to do for the next few moments is just take you on this theological exploration of this idea that God came here and within that reality there's this message that He is for us, right? Now, in the church biz, the word for this is the word incarnation. Say the word incarnation, ready? incarnation it, it just I don't know you're probably smarter than me anyway but just something that's incarnate is this idea has become manifest among us that the boss the CEO finally came to lunch with us right like he's incarnate he's here he's only been an email up until this point and there he is like years and years and years ago when I was in uh, 10th grade or something uh, Nancy Reagan came to our youth group. I have no idea how. She just came with a lot of bodyguards. She's very short, by the way. Uh, but she came. She was doing some just say no to drugs things, which which works real well. No. Um, the, but she somehow we and a bunch of other youth groups, like we landed this gig and it was so odd I mean all the security lined us up gave us questions to ask and she comes out of the limo and despite all the sort of weirdness about it she's walking through and we're like dude she's here like it's the president's wife you know Uh, and man she's really small Uh, (laughs) but that's that's what it is it's like up until now it's just been something intangible but when it becomes incarnate it's among us it's here it's manifested itself that's what that simply means and John uh, one of Jesus's close friends and disciples said it this way in his gospel in verse 14 that the word became what flesh and made his dwelling what among us now just leave this here for a moment because I want you to see this I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey here an exploration of what this what John is saying It's a highly complicated statement and it took him 13 verses to get here and if you really want to head spin, read the first 13 verses, this is actually the most clear part. I mean, he fumbles along to get here. And essentially what he says is that the Word, which he's using as a reference to a couple of things, but ultimately of Jesus, came here. And he lived, among, he dwelled among us. Now, a couple of things off the top. The, the word for word is the word logos. Say the word logos. This has a very interesting uh, application in John's day. For those outside of the Jewish faith, for those in the ancient world, the word logos was this kitchen sink, all skate term for the thing that no one could describe. Like the thing that held the universe together, this was the word they used the word the wisdom, the knowledge, the thing that we don't know what it is. The ancients would say, what is it that holds the stars in the sky? And the philosophers would answer, the Logos. Oh, good answer. It's a non-answer. Like, we don't know what it is. It's just this thing. Like, all of creation works. And we have breath and we have life and we can do things and we have emotions and we want justice. And there's all these, there's all these things about life that are... And when it gets dwindled down to like, what is that that makes that, that, they would just say, "Ah, oh, we don't know, we just call that uh, the thing, the word, the logos, in the sky. Are you with me? John says, in a brilliant move, that thing that you don't know what it is, came here. Are you with me? It's this all-inclusive, like, he's not talking to Christians only, he's saying, okay, I get it, everybody's sort of religious in their own way, and you have these ideas about how the universe began and what's going on. John simply says, your version of that, this Logos thing, it came here. He showed up. To the Jew, the word, word, Logos, the word, had a different aspect to it. It had a different character to it. See, to a Jew, the word So important. God's Word is the thing that created everything. When you read Genesis, you're reading a story of God creating all things simply through what? Speaking. And then the Jews would say that the Word of God, His instructions, His law, His ways, etc. The Word of God, they would say in Psalm 119, was a lamp unto their feet, a light unto their path. That the word had this guiding character to it. That the word was everything that you based your life on and your direction and your, life and your ways on. And so to the Jews, John is saying, that thing came here. It's all the same message. It's, this, it's, bu- it's brilliant. Like the word, whatever it is that you think holds the universe together, he came here, right? To answer those questions for you. And for those of you who know the God of the universe and His Word and the power of His Word, he came, it came here. And so John says, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Now the word dwelling is so interesting because it's, in the Greek it's the word skinu. And it's, it, it's the same word for the word tabernacle. And tabernacle was essentially a temporary House for God. But it wasn't far off. It was in and among the people. It's not forever. It's temporary. It'll just be here for a while. And it's not disconnected, but it's among and with us. So John says, God came here and he dwelled among us. In in the ancient world, the gods were either for you or against you, but they uh, uh, they were never among you. And they were never with you. They're either for or against you, but never with or among. The message version of John 14 is my favorite when Eugene Peterson writes that, um, that God put skin on and he moved into the neighborhood. I, I love the stories of the new Pope just at night, sneaking out with bodyguards and hanging out with those in poverty. Have you read these? You should. Just, Okay among, like just remembering who needs the thing the most. And John says that word became flesh. He put skin on God, became a man, and he lived among us. And in the ancient world, that's pretty upstream. Gods are for or against, but never with or among. John would later write in chapter 3, These words that you may or may not be familiar with. Uh, He wrote, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. Do you know these words? I love these words because they come on the tail end of a conversation between Jesus and another Pharisee or religious leader named Nicodemus. Nicodemus. The conversation is amazing. It's high level. It's highly theological. You can get lost in it. Most of it doesn't make sense. But John records it. And then right when it's finished, John inserts this statement in verse 16. and, and, And this one statement, this one verse, is this small encapsulation of the whole story of God. That God has a love for the world so much, that he became one of us. And that if we believe in that, and I'll explain that in a moment, if we believe in that, then we, we enter into this life that only God can give, this eternity kind of thing. And so John begins with this, uh, this thing about how God loves the world. He doesn't hate the world, he's not against the world, he's not hoping the world falls apart, he loves the world, which means he loves the things that are in them, he loves you, he loves me. And he came here because of that. And part of the thing about coming is to simply, again, be this manifestation of who God is. Like God in person. God with skin on God in our neighborhood. God in our midst. Now the thing about the word uh, gave in this text. In the Jewish sacrificial system, you know, they did these sacrifices. In the sacrificial system of the Jewish culture, whatever it is that they sacrificed... Their crops, livestock, whatever. It was always viewed as something that belonged to God first, was given to them temporarily for provision, and then it was given back. Does that make sense? So if they had a great crop and they harvested a percentage of their crop, what they were saying was, this was not anything that I made, we just harvested what God gave us. It was God's to begin with and so we now give it back as a way of not only saying thanks but as a way of worship and reposturing ourselves as to who is God and who is it. And so giving and sacrificing was seen as this discipline to say, this thing that I'm sacrificing first belonged to God anyway. And so I give it back as a way of worship, saying thanks, recognizing who's God, right? And so when John says that Jesus was given, it's a very strange thing, like he gave gave his son. It's this picture of sacrifice that I'm giving, but it's not necessarily about the birth, but it's about the sacrifice of his death that will come later. That God will take him back. And that he is ours for a time. And that he is himself a sacrifice. So he's an offering. And so when John says that for God so loved the world that he gave... That's what it's about. That he is, this is something that will be sacrificed for us. And the the back part of the verse about believing, uh, this is often misconstrued in our American understanding. We simply think of the word believe as in, I acknowledge the facts and the figures. Like, yes, that's true or that's not true. Yes, Jesus, I do believe he was an historical figure. Yes. Or, yes, I do believe that he died on a cross, yes. You might even believe that he rose from the dead. Again, it's just facts and figures. It's just like truths and untruths. Like, I believe them or I don't. But in this world, when John is writing the words, whoever believes in him, it's more about life-altering change. Like, how do you know if somebody believes something? How do you know she means it when she says, I do? You don't. It's just part of the script. That truth will be discovered later. As in, I see that you love me. I see that you care about me. Because your life has changed. Are you with me on that? To believe in something is to lean into it as if it were true. And it's so true that I'm I'm trusting my whole self with it. Right? I'm trusting, you know... It's it's the person on the bungee jumping bridge. There's a bunch of people down below that got a lot of opinions about this is why it works and, and they just need to jump and it's all going to be okay and those things can hold a tank and all but they're not jumping. They just believe the truths about the thing, but it's the person who's going woo like off the bridge like they believe it. Are you with me on that? Are, do you get it? I don't want to keep like pretending you don't understand. So because. Uh, that was not in my notes, and I don't have any more stories to help you understand this. But to believe in Jesus is not—it's it, it, not to stop at just yes, I believe the things about Jesus. It is to actually fall into who He is, to trust your whole self with Him. Are you with me? So that's the back end of the verse. But the hinge for me—the hinge of the statement—the hinge that is in this passage, is the word whoever. Now, the Greek word for this is the word pos. Say the word pos. Very simple, right? It's a very key word. You need to remember, there's a quiz at the end of Advent, okay? Uh, This is the word for me that the whole thing hinges on. Now, think about the word whoever. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not directly spoken to us, but it includes us. It's a descriptive word, but it has no specific profile. There's no central category or stereotype. There are no, with this word, there are no associated neighborhoods, backgrounds, financial standings, or languages. There are no social, economic, racial, spiritual, or even moral boundaries with this word. It is what it is. It is just whoever. And John is saying that God loved the world so much that he came here to help the world find its way back to him. And that invitation is to anyone who wants it. Anybody. Whoever. Pass. So when the angel said to the shepherds, this is good news of great joy, and it is for all the people. It is for all the people. This is the sort of thing that got Jesus into trouble. Jesus Uh, both hung out with the right people and the wrong people. Are you with me on this? Jesus was a frustration for the religious in his day. Because in one setting, he would be the greatest of teachers and one of, you know, the most extraordinary giver of moral teaching. And they just were so attracted to that. And yet, on the other hand, they would turn around and he's hanging out with sinners. <laughs> and Luke always includes, and tax collectors. <laughs> like they get their own category. There's sinners and then there's tax collectors, right? And, so it, and it was just a head spin for these people. They just were like, because to be with someone, to eat with someone, why does your teacher eat? with sinners and tax collectors they would ask because to eat to share meal was to say i approve of this person i love this person i like this person i agree with them and it was just a frustration for them because jesus was on one hand like the thing they were looking for and then they would turn around and go what is he doing with those people now jesus would say eventually that it is the sick who need a doctor not those who are well which is logical, isn't it? Now, I don't want you to hear that, like, don't take offense to that. Like, I'm not a sick person. Like, don't, don't take offense to that. He's just making a statement, like, it's almost hyperbole. Just like, i got to make this clear to you. The people who need to be reminded that God is for them and not against them, I need to be with them. And so I will be with them, whether that ruins your perception of me or not. It's one of the leading things that got him killed. He's just in the wrong places with the wrong people and at the same time he's in the right places with the right people it's a frustration for people luke would actually say of jesus in his gospel account that jesus was a friend of what sinners he's a friend of sin i was kind of hoping that that would settle into the room with kind of like this amen sort of thing like because that's us by the way but if you don't think okay whatever but like he's he's a friend of us like that's the description he gets. Like he's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of those who are off the rails morally, behaviorally, religiously, spiritually, everything. It's their friend. It's a friend of theirs. And I think about like where did this go wrong? Like think this is Jesus. It's Jesus, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And every picture of Jesus is this crowd of people who don't deserve to be with Jesus and they like Him. Are you with me? They like Him. It's Jesus. He never sins. Like, it's Jesus. He's perfect. And the most imperfect people like Him. They love Him. They want to be around Him. Where did the switch happen? Like, when did the church become the place where No, 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 those people aren't in here. When did the church become clean and pure? When did it become like less than dangerous and controversial? Now it's just kind of like, oh, the church has somehow through the centuries, through the ages, through the generations, weeded out the danger zones. And it's a safe place. It's clean in here. And we all know it's not. Right? We're all aware of that. I have kids. If you have kids, we know that you came in here smiling, but that's a lie. That's a total lie. You get you get in the car. Church. We're going to church. Right? Are you with me? Like it's all it's all it's all facade. You know that. Amen. Thank you. One parent. One parent will admit it. Everybody knows that. And yet somehow, like. There's been this shift like those people are out there and cleanliness is in here. and Whatever happened to the dangerous, controversial, unpredictable thing that the church was? It's Jesus. And the sinners and the tax collectors felt comfortable inviting him over to their homes. I think it's embedded in this message that he is for all the people. We have to recover that. Now, before you think I'm talking about you, I love CCB. If I, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd go here. It's fantastic. I mean, we never ask for money. Uh, the worship is pretty good. We only, the TVs sort of work occasionally. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is my kind of place. Like, I like this church. And I also know, many of you, and I know that it's kind of a mess. And I think we approach in worship and through prayer and communion that reality that we know of ourselves. I, I, that's what I love about this place. And we are not the only church in this city that is like that too. I'm in contact with so many pastors up and down this road that can say the same things about their communities. And it's so, it's so encouraging. It's so encouraging. When less than 10% of the population inside the perimeter even goes to church, we need more churches that say it's for all the people. It's for all, of, all the people. And I think again, when John says the word became flesh, there's no greater message to us that God is for you and that he came here and he lived and dwelled among us. I want to close with this quote. It's pretty heavy, but I think you're smart enough. But Richard Rohr says, humanity has the right to know that it is good to be human and it is good to live on this earth it is good to have a body because God and Jesus chose and said yes to our humanity, or as we Franciscans love to say, incarnation is already redemption. In other words, the fact that Jesus came here is enough to recognize that God is for us, not against us. Amen? Let me pray for you and then we'll move into a time of communion. If you're new with us, we do this each week. It really is at the center of what we do. We take the bread and the juice and it reminds us of Christ's life and death and resurrection. It also reminds us that we are a part of a community, that we're a part of this church. And that though we're doing this in this room, there are countless churches around the world doing it at the same time. And it binds us together with this worldwide community that is resting in hope That this news is good, it's filled with joy, and it's for all the people. And whenever we feel like God is against us, when we eat the bread and we drink the juice, it reminds us that that is so far from the truth. So take the bread and the juice today in hope and in peace, um, and I'll pray for you before you do that. Tables are in the front and in the back, and you can make your way to one of those at any time. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this truth that you're for us not against us thank you that regardless of our failings um, you're ahead of us you're wanting to pull us forward redemption is about the next step forward and that's what you want to do you want to to let us know in some way that you're not against us and that this message is for everyone God let us just sit on that word whoever for a while Because maybe we feel like that person like stuck between the truth that you came and the challenge to believe and to rest in that. God, I pray that in these gatherings that we take small steps in your direction. God, thank you for this communion. I ask that you bless this time over the next few moments as we Move around the room as a community, as a family, all of us broken, all of us in need of grace and mercy. Fill this place with peace and and joy. And as we close in song, let us lift our voices to you. And it's in your name that we pray, amen.